Before we get to our text today, which will be 1 Kings 19, 1 through 8, I want to ask, have you ever experienced an incredible high? Something exciting that you worked really hard for, or maybe something that wasn't necessarily from uh, exceptional hard work, but just being, just being faithful, faithfully doing something over the course of a long period of time. Maybe it was a good grade on a test, kids. Maybe you experienced that, you know, something you, that you studied really hard for and got the grade that you had hoped to get or victory on the field or a contest that you were in. Maybe adults, it was a raise or promotion at work or finishing a project and being recognized for good work that you had done. Maybe finishing a long-needed home project or fixing something that you've never tried to fix before and never didn't think that you could do it. Maybe there was some point in your life where you wanted a date with a special someone and you were able to ask them on that date, or maybe you got married to that special someone. There are many things in life that can bring great highs, great excitement, and even a feeling of self-worth from those things. And yet, so often that feeling of excitement, of self-worth will fade either because of a perceived failure or just over time, the joy and excitement fades. The circumstances may have changed, but the experience or accomplishment of the past is still true. What gave us the initial high is still true. And yet we often focus more on the current circumstance. This is often true in how we understand God's presence and power in the midst of these experiences God is with me when life is good and exciting, right? But God is somehow nowhere to be found, or God has changed how he feels about me when circumstances change. This morning, the prophet Elijah shows us that he's a man like us who believes that he has failed and that God must not be with him. Let's read 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through eight. Ahab, that's King Ahab, told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, all that had happened on Mount Carmel where the fire of God came down and burned up the sacrifice that Elijah had made to God when the prophets of Baal could not get their God, Baal, to do the same and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. 
And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word made flesh and dwelt among us, lived among us, your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would, by your spirit, give us eyes to see and ears to hear your very word given to us. Lord, that we might be not only conformed to it, but transformed by it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue in our series of the life of Elijah called The Lord is My God. And last week we were in 1 Kings chapter 18, which we titled The Melee on the Mountain. Baal versus Yahweh, or Baal versus Yahweh, the true God. And the question we were confronted with was who or what brings trouble? Ahab had called Elijah the troubler of Israel, and Elijah responded to him by saying that it was King Ahab who had brought trouble to Israel by not following the Lord. And we saw from the text that we can know that Yahweh is God. We saw the answer to the question, who is the true God? Yahweh. And we saw what is our response to be. Our response is that we are to repent, to turn to God, and to slay the idols in our lives. This morning, we pick up the story of Elijah right after the Lord powerfully shows that he is the true God by sending fire from heaven to devour the sacrifice, the stones of the altar, and the licks up the water in the trough around the altar. And yet, as we read our text, if we had not known what had just transpired, what had just happened on Mount Carmel, you might think that the prophets of Baal, that the Baal God had actually won the melee on the mountain. Right? Because the response of Elijah, the great prophet, does not fit with what we have just seen in the text, right? For whatever reason, fatigue, lack of faith, a sense of resignation, and the prospect of never having peace, whatever the reason is, Elijah's actions and continence are more connected to the current circumstances than the reality of who God has shown himself to be. And remember, it's not that God had just sent fire down from heaven and, and devoured the sacrifice in response to Elijah's prayer that he might show himself to be the true God, that the hours that had passed beforehand that the prophets of Baal could not get their God, Baal, to respond. But Elijah had been cared for for years prior living with a widow in Zarephath whose flour and oil did not run out, that she kept providing food for him, applauding for him. Prior to that, by the brook 
Cherith, where the ravens fed him with meat and bread. God has shown himself faithful to care for Elijah. And not only does God send fire from heaven to devour the sacrifice, but as soon as this contest is over, off in the distance in the west, over the sea, a cloud rises and the rains come back after three and a half years of drought. God has shown himself faithful, powerful. God has shown Elijah who he is. And yet, Elijah's response is out of fear and despair. So we ask this question from our text this morning, does our view of God change according to our circumstances? Does our view of God change according to our circumstances? Do we, like Elijah, become despondent and afraid Maybe we become angry or feel alone. Whatever emotions or feeling we might have, Elijah, the great prophet, at least once in his life, felt very much the same. And we are shown it here with all this detail in our text. When the brother of James in the New Testament writes, He writes these words. He writes, Elijah, about prayer. He writes, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What was James meaning by writing that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours? I have to believe that he had this part of Elijah's life in mind when he wrote those words. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Right? Elijah is viewed as the greatest prophet of Israel. And James was saying that this great prophet, this person that you look up to, that you think is the greatest prophet of Israel, was a man just like us, a human being just like us. Elijah, the greatest of the prophets who prayed and God answered as if he were asking his friend who defeated 450 prophets of Baal who called Ahab to repentance also experienced great fear and depression and wanted to die. Elijah was a man like us. And the main point of our text today is that The God of victory on the mountain is the God who meets us in our distress in the desert. The God of victory on the mountain is the God who meets us in our distress in the desert. There aren't any subpoints. That is the main point today. The victory, the God of victory on the mountain is the God who meets us in our distress in the desert. And we're just going to walk through the text and see how that is. Right? God has just shown himself victorious, powerful on the mountain of Carmel. And Ahab comes and tells Jezebel, Queen Jezebel, all that Elijah had done. And 
Jezebel is so enraged that she sends a messenger to Elijah to say that she will kill him by tomorrow. She will do to him as was done to the prophets of Baal by tomorrow. So help me God, she says. This is what's going to happen. What's kind of interesting is that, you know, we realize that this is not a, just an empty threat, right? Jezebel, we found out in 1 Kings 18 that she has killed God's prophets before. So Elijah has no reason to doubt that her threats are true. And this Jezebel, this, this queen Jezebel who threatens Elijah, it's interesting and kind of ironic that her name means where is the Baal, right? Jezebel, where is the Baal? It's ironic because Baal didn't show up. And yet she doubles down on the reality that he is God, right? Her name means where is the Baal? This Baal did not show up for the contest on Mount Carmel, and yet she doubles down on the reality that he is God. Let me ask you, how often do you double down on your idols? How often do I double down on my idols? Clearly they have failed us, and yet we will seemingly do anything to worship them. Money, power with success and influence connected, approval, meaning affirmation, love, relationships, comfort, lack of stress, freedom, control, certainty, standards. As Tim Keller explains, idols are good things that we've made the ultimate things. Do we double down as Jezebel does here? Even when our idols have failed us, Instead of repenting and turning to the living and true God, do we double down, expecting them to do what they could never do in the first place? Do we not turn to the God of victory on the mountain? So Elijah flees, and as he flees in verses 3 and 4, we see that he leaves his servant in Beersheba. He leaves his servant there, and this is likely an indication that Elijah believed that his days as a prophet were over, right? The years without rain, the defeat of the prophets of Baal have done nothing to change the hearts of Ahab or Jezebel. They have entrenched themselves in the worship of Baal. They have not repented and returned to the God of Israel. He has failed. He wasn't able to call the people of Israel back to God, right? Those are his words as he sits under the tree. It is enough now, O Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I have failed, God. I'm a failure. Do those thoughts 
ever creep into your mind. I'm a failure, Lord God. What you called me to do, I have not been able to accomplish. Right? In Elijah's mind, victory seems to be transformed into defeat. The brave prophet, the one who went to Ahab and proclaimed that the rain would stop and that God would send a drought on the land until Ahab repented. Elijah, the, God, the prophet who stood in the face of 450 prophets of Baal, the brave prophet has been turned into a cowering refugee. running away. And the victory over death and Baal is no longer what Elijah is experiencing. But he's looking for an opportunity for death to come upon him. This victory does not seem to have done anything. The only thing that has done is to reassert death and the oath that Jezebel would take Elijah's life and the continued worship of Baal. Elijah says that he wants to die, which ironically is the opposite desire to which he expressed by fleeing into the desert in the first place. He admits defeat that in his human strength he has failed as his ancestors had before, keeping Israel faithful to the Lord. And yet God doesn't leave him in this place. Right, the God of victory on the mountain is the God who meets us in the desert. The God who meets us in our distress in the desert. And he comes to him by sending an angel to minister to him. You know, too often, I don't think we really want to sit in this part of the story where Elijah has run off into the desert it's feeling the distress and the loneliness and the depression that has overtaken, and we don't want to sit here. We want to move on to the next mountain, <laughs> right? We want to immediately get to Mount Horeb, where God is calling Elijah to go, right? We want to go from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb without sitting in the desert, We don't want to take time to sit in the text. We want to just go right past verses 1 through 8. And I'll tell you what, in studying this passage, most commentators do this. They just, this is just like an afterthought to what's going to happen on Mount Horeb. It's kind of just, well, Elijah just has to move through this, this period of this portion of life to get from Mount Carmel to Mount Horeb. 
Let's just kind of jump over this and get to the good stuff of where God is going to show up on Mount Horeb and remind Elijah who he is. But guess what? A lot of life is lived in the desert. Right? A lot of life is lived in the distress in the desert. We need to sit for at least a week in the text. And be reminded that God meets us in the desert. Let's not get to the mountain too quickly. Because Elijah, what he experienced on Mount Horeb would not have had the same effect if he had not spent time in distress in the desert. No one, I I get it, no one wants to be so low in spirit that they ask God to die. And yet God sends an angel to care for him, to feed him, to encourage him with the simplest of things to strengthen him. God sends an angel to touch him, to wake him from his sleep, and to remind him that his God cares. His God is there. Even when Elijah has assumed that God is gone. I don't know how many of you remember the song, As the Deer Pants for the Water, So My Soul Longs for You. And I don't know if you, how many of you growing up singing that or you've sang it recently, how many of you sang that thinking of it as a song of piety? I long for you so much, Lord. I long for you like a deer panting for water. I want to serve you and do your will, O Lord. This is what my longing is for. How many of you have sung that song thinking that that's what that psalm is about? What if I told you that those words were from Psalm 42, which is a psalm where the writer is depressed, fearful, and anxious. The psalmist is experiencing the things of life so deeply that he says his tears are like his food. And the majority of the psalm recounts the ways in which the psalmist is depressed, fearful, and anxious, the way that Elijah is in the desert. The psalm is about the distress in the desert. That's why the psalmist is longing, is yearning for this stream of water, because they find themselves in distress in the desert. They're fearful and anxious, and they repeatedly ask, why are you cast down, O my soul? 
The psalmist again and again, after recounting all the ways in which they feel this fear, their depression, their anxiety, repeatedly ask, why are you cast down, O my soul? He's told us why. Repeatedly. But he responds to the question that he asks with the repeated again and again answer, hope in God. For I shall again praise him. He is my salvation. Right? The writer of Psalm 42 who finds himself in distress in the desert. is reminded that whatever circumstances he is experiencing, whatever desert he finds himself in, that the promise of God is more true. Hope in God. He is my salvation. Hope in God. He is my salvation. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself in the desert today or any day or any week or any month or any year, may I remind you that Jesus has promised to meet you there and he will just as he has on the mountain. Jesus went through the desert for you and me. He also went to the mountain where he died for you and me. And his promise to us is, I am with you always, even to the very end. Always, everywhere. The victory of God on the mountain the God of victory in the mountain is the God who meets us in our distress in the desert. He is with us always, even to the very end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you are the God of victory on the mountain. And Lord, you are the God who meets us in our distress in the desert. Lord, I pray for those of us who are on the mountain today. Thank you and praise you, Lord God, that we are experiencing your power and your majesty in that way. Lord, I also pray for those who are in the desert this day, that they know your presence. that they know that you are with them everywhere, even to the very end. Lord, I thank you for your promise that you love us and you care for us and that you walk with us no matter where we are no matter what our circumstances are, you are our hope. 
Our salvation is in you and no one else. We praise it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.